Good morning. Good morning. It is good to see you. Happy Monday. We are glad that you're here. Some of you, some of you may not be aware, but it's actually a really busy week, like in the world. Tomorrow, November 8th, is election day, right? And then Friday, November 11th is Veterans Day. And so this morning, as we continue to dig into issues of civic engagement and what it means to follow Jesus and the world around us, it's my privilege to welcome Colonel Doug Vanderhoof to share with us. Now, I'm sure you'll recognize Colonel Vanderhoof as our Chief Strategic Operations Officer. He also sings in the Central Choir, and he's rumored to be helping to start an a cappella group. Uh, Colonel Vanderhoof is married to Dr. Lara Vanderhoof, our chief academic officer, and together they have two kids, Reese and Jordan, actually both of whom I got to have in youth group during my time as a youth pastor. Additionally, Doug serves the community as a cub master for one of our local Cub Scout packs. Um, and back in the day, he was my son's Cub Scout leader um, and got to watch in horror as we bombed the Pinewood Derby every single time we attempted it. But before any of this, Colonel Vanderhoof enlisted in the Army Reserves in 1985. He enlisted as a combat engineer in his junior year of college while attending Roberts Wesleyan College. Within his service to our country, Colonel Vanderhoof was deployed with the Contingency Response Unit, serving in Iraq as the Chief Information Officer of the USACE Gulf Region District and as Area Officer for the Afghanistan Engineer District North at Bagram Airfield, where he earned his Bronze Star. Upon return from his deployment, he was selected as a battalion commander for the 2220th Mobilization Support Battalion. Following this tenure, he was selected as the second mobilization support group executive officer. There's more. In 2016, Colonel Vanderhoof was selected as the emergency preparedness liaison officer for the entire state of Missouri, which was his assignment until his retirement. In 2019, he graduated from the Army War College with a master's degree in strategic studies. His awards include a Bronze Star Medal, Meritorious Service Medal, Army Commendation Medal, Army Achievement Medal, Army Reserve Component Achievement Medal, Armed Forces Reserve Medal with M Device, Second Award and Silver Hourglass, and several Mobilization Service and Campaign Medals. So, would you join me in welcoming Colonel Doug Vanderhoof this morning? Thank you, Zach. Let's give Zach a hand for getting through all that, because that was a mouthful. So, good morning. Most of you have probably not seen me dressed like this, yes? So, I think that... Um, it deserves a little bit of an explanation. Um, Zach already alluded to the fact that we've got two major events this week, Election Day and Veterans Day. I don't think he asked me to come here to talk about politics. I may touch on that later, but probably more because of my military service as a veteran. So some of you have called me Colonel, and so I thought, well, let's make it official, and I'll show up in uniform. Um, 
At the beginning of the semester, the president really kind of teed up our convocations as an opportunity to engage with some of the social issues of our day. And to a large extent, our speakers have done that over the course of the semester. So we've talked, we've addressed food insecurity, we've addressed LGBTQ issues, we've talked about poverty, we've talked about a, a number of other different things. Um, I'm gonna diverge a little bit from that today and talk to you specifically about service in the way that you might be able to serve your fellow citizens. So before I get there, I think it might be helpful to give you a little context and tell you where I got my journey to service and how that transpired. So I tried to find some pictures of me in college. 1985, we didn't have the internet. Well, it was around, but we didn't have it. No cell phones, those kind of things. So I couldn't find any other pictures other than in my college yearbook, and they didn't really translate very well into a photo, so we don't have that. So I'm going to have you go through a little bit of a thought experiment with me. Imagine me, about a half inch taller, with long hair down almost to my shoulders. Yeah, I was rocking the mullet then, true. Um, involved in sports, I was a cross-country runner um, and a track athlete. So doing that kind of stuff year-round. Um, like some of you who are juniors, I was looking forward to that next step in my life journey, but also looking at my bill every semester and realizing that I've got a lot of money I gotta pay back when I leave this place, right? And so along comes this guy. Yeah, well, it wasn't really that guy, but somebody that was like that guy. And he wanted to tell me all about the Army, right? Well, really, he didn't want to talk to me so much about the Army as he wanted to talk to me about how the Army was going to help pay me. So we talked about loan repayment. We talked about bonuses. We talked about all the financial stuff that I was going to get out of joining the Army. So off we went. So I spent the next summer at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, getting my hair shaved. So. It's been like this now for about 30 some years, 36 years actually. Um, and that started this path of becoming involved. Now I wasn't really thinking about service at the time, I was just simply thinking about, great, this is gonna help me pay off my college debt. Now, some of you, may have a different perspective of what the military looks like. Maybe it looks like this. This is a drill instructor. He's your friend. Right? Yeah, right. So, does it work that way? No, he's really more about telling you what you're doing wrong and how he's going to kick your butt if you don't get it right and that kind of thing. So, there's that. Or there's this guy. This is your your stud hero that can walk through minefields while artillery shells are blowing up all around him and he comes out without a scratch. Yeah, he may have a little dirt over his face, but that's about it. Or maybe it's this guy, the private, who likes to sit around in the back and hide out and not do anything until he gets KP duty and then he's just peeling potatoes for the day. So, yeah, maybe there's some truth to all these. Maybe. Uh, at least the way that Hollywood portrays it, 
right? Because all that kind of stuff, the, what we call the kinetic aspect of the military, the combat-related stuff, that's what sells movies, right? So there's another side to this, um, and so that's what I'm going to talk about a little bit today. Um, it's a little lesser-known aspect of the military that comes across all branches, and it's a form of humanitarian support that occurs both overseas and in the United States. And this was my focus from 2010 until the, the year that I retired last year. So in 20, well, yeah, late, early 2010, I deployed, went to Iraq for six months, and then I went to Afghanistan. And Afghanistan was really the point where I started to see the aspect of service that was a little bit different than what I've been trained for for the previous 20 plus years. Um, in Afghanistan, I was responsible for probably somewhere in the range of about a half a billion dollars worth of construction projects. And those projects involved a wide range of things. We built roads, we built facilities, um, we did um, wastewater treatment facilities and water treatment facilities, every kind of aspect that you would see that impacts the lives of individual people, whether they were on the base or off the base in some village someplace. Others were involved in building schools. Uh, a lot of school, a lot of places in Afghanistan didn't have schools, um, and so we were building schools. We had um, people going out into village, small villages and engaging with leaders and elders in those villages to help them build structures that would enable them to better govern themselves. We had, because of um, aspects of um, involvement with the military. Of course, you know that most of the combat operations are done by males, right? But in Afghanistan, males were not permitted to engage with females. And obviously, when you go into a village, you're going to have females there. So we created fem what we called female engagement teams. And they would go out, and they would go into these villages, and they would deal directly with the females in those villages who had a lot of influence on the ma their male counterparts, believe it or not. Um, but they would go in and talk to them about hygiene issues, particularly as it related to births, and particularly in those areas where we had a high birth rate mortality rate. On the home front, Department of Defense fully supports local communities during times of urgent need. So in Kansas, for example, we've been involved in um, cleanup after tornadoes. We've been involved in search and rescue. Uh, several years ago, uh, some of you may recall, we had some wildfires that were happening south of here and heading, kind of heading this direction. And the military was heavily involved in fighting those fires. We've been involved across the nation with respect to hurricanes and hurricane response. I've deployed to Texas. Um, some of you may recall, um, I don't remember the year 2014, no, it had to be like 2017, I guess. 2017, 2018, we had three major tornadoes that happened within the span of about a week and a half. Came up through Texas and Louisiana, and then the one that came up through Puerto Rico. Um, we all deployed through in response to that and, and working to, to solve some of the problems that came for that. So <clears throat> for several months um, in 2020, I deployed in response, our nation's response to, um, to COVID. And so some of that 
involved creation of alternate care facilities, such as the Javits Convention Center. And so what you see here is a convention center in New York City that was converted from a convention center into a medical facility. I don't remember exactly the time frame. It was a couple of weeks. Um, we created a 2,000-bed facility to allow people for overflow because of the number of people that were being impacted by COVID. Another spot that we worked was in Florissant, Missouri. Uh, I was more directly involved with this one, but it involved the process of converting a quality inn into an alternate care facility. We took two floors out of this quality inn. They, of course, they didn't have anybody there right at the moment, right? They weren't staying there. So we created an alternate care facility. This is more for ambulatory patients that had COVID, but they could come in, get taken care of, stay for a couple of days, and it relieved a lot of the pressure that, that occurred in hospital in the, in the hospitals in St. Louis. So over my 36-year career, my time as an emergency response officer is probably the most significant. And I say that even though as a both the company commander and battalion commander, it was probably the most um, professionally satisfying, but being responsive to my fellow citizens uh, across, uh, across the country was probably more significant than anything else that I did. So in John, Christ commands us to love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. So as a military member, this is something that comes with the territory, right? Um, there's an ex kind of an expectation. I'm going to take care of the guy on my right and the guy on my left and whoever's behind me. Um, and they're going to take care of me. However, let me ask you this. How many of you are going to wake up in the morning and say, yeah, I'll throw myself on a hand grenade to protect my buddy. I don't see any hands. Where's the Belco? He might do that. Oh, there he goes. Okay. So we don't want to do that willingly. However, Jesus gives us a little bit more and provides an example of what servanthood looks like. So earlier in John, he relates Jesus washing the disciples' feet. This is a task that's normally provided or normally done, performed by the lowliest servant due to the fact that they travel on these dusty roads in sandals and what's on those dusty roads. It could be mud, feces, just a lot of different things that happen in that time of, the, uh, time of history, right? Um, seen many of you with WWJD bracelets. Well, that's what Jesus did. That's what we should be doing. So a few weeks ago, Justin Ross was here, and he talked a little bit about um, the things that ICCM is doing. And he suggested to you that idea of taking 1% of your time and using that to serve others. I don't recall if he actually came up with what that time requirement looked like. Maybe he did, and I just don't remember. So I'm going to redo this, all right? So seven days a week, 24 hours a day, that's 168 hours. We take eight hours a day off for sleep. Some of you get a lot less than that. Some of you get a lot more. But let's just go with an average of eight hours a day. So that leaves you with 112 hours, which gives you a little bit over one hour a week. And that is a totally doable thing, right? Even if you're in college, even if you're working a full-time job, you can find an hour a week to go help somebody with something. So where do you go with this? So I've talked a little bit about my service to my country. Uh, and ultimately, that extends to you all. Um, <clears throat> now, you may not choose that path, and that's okay, or you may choose it. I'm not here to sell you on joining the military, by the way. 
Although if you want to, come see me and I'll help you work that out. Um, <clears throat> but here are some ideas. You might go to your local school district and serve at, with the PTO or the PTA or some other, some other way. Okay? They are always looking for volunteers. I know my wife has been very involved in the local PTO. Now, granted, we do have kids in the school district, or one now, um, but they're always looking for help. So you don't have to have somebody in school in order to go help them serve teachers food during parent-teacher conferences or deliver cookies to a classroom or go to a classroom and help out, okay? All right, next idea would be, um, so you might do something with the United Way. So the United Way works with public, private, nonprofit partners to boost education, provide health education, give economic mobility, primarily to those who are underserved in the community, um, maybe are at poverty level or something of that nature. Uh, an example of a, a way that our local United Way serves is through what's called the Dolly Parton Imagination Library, um, which provides uh, one book a month to children under the age of four to help them read. You, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Um, another way you might serve is through a grassroots organization like Set Free. Um, so Set Free fights human trafficking. And Zach, probably this would be a great topic. Um, I don't remember if we've done that already. I don't think we have, have we? So this might be a great topic for, for Dr. Vanderhoof to come talk about because it's pretty significant. There's well over, there are millions of people that are involved in, or not, I shouldn't say involved, that are trafficked across the world. Um, and it's not just limited to women, it's, it's women, men, children across the globe. Um, and it, it might surprise you to see some of the countries that where human trafficking occurs in significant numbers. Um, Let's see, there was something else I was going to say about this. Oh, yeah, um, this is something actually, it's so significant that in the military, and part of that's because of where we serve, um, but in the military, every year, we were required to do training, which is involved with combating human trafficking and designed specifically to help us recognize places where we might go and see the symptoms or those ideas, those things or triggers that would indicate that someone is being trafficked. All right, you might go to um, <clears throat> someplace like your local library and read to children. You might become a sports official, particularly for youth sports. You know, in every almost every state right now, youth games are being canceled because of a lack of officials. I've been a basketball official since I think around 1995, 96, somewhere around that time frame. Um, there's a plea every single year to ha have us go out and try to find additional officials so that we don't have to cancel games. And it is happening. So that could be an area where you can help. Most of you are very knowledgeable in your sports and it's a good way for you to continue in your sport beyond college in a different way and give back to the thing that gives you satisfaction. You might become a volunteer first responder, firefighter, auxiliary police, volunteer, help out at, with, you know, with EMS, 
something of that nature. You might go serve at a food bank. So I'm going to give you a little shameless plug right now. Um, our food bank, it's just down the street, the McPherson County Food Bank. It's just, what, three or four blocks away. Um, <clears throat> scouting in McPherson last year. So a little history on this. Um, the Kiwanis Club used to do this food drive every November. Kiwanis kind of folded a few years ago. So scouts in McPherson picked this up as a <coughs> excuse me, a way for our scouts to help serve the community. So for the next two Saturdays, we're conducting our food drive. Saturday, this Saturday, we're going to go out and we're going to hang bags on doors with instructions to fill the bag with dry goods. So it could be canned goods or boxes of cereal or whatever. And then the following week, we're going to go back out and collect all those bags all throughout the city of McPherson. We need help. Um, we've got a few students or a few scouts that are able to do all this, but it takes a long time if it's just us. So this would be a great opportunity for you to come help us out. Go hang the bags. Go back out the following weekend. Pick up the bags. You could do this. It'll take maybe an hour to walk a route, bring the food back here to the food bank, drop it off, and fill their shelves. Last year, we collected somewhere around five tons worth of food. We'd like to see that double this year if we can. I don't know if it's possible, but I'd be great it would be great if we could walk in there and not have a place to turn around because they don't they have too much food of course there's never too much food right all right so <clears throat> i could go on there's opportunities for service all over the place i mentioned earlier i wasn't really going to get into politics too much i'm not going to get into too much but here's another way you could serve go help at a polling site um they're so desperate for, for volunteers to help at polling right now that they're asking high schoolers to give up some time in school to come serve at a polling location. They can't do a whole lot there because they can't, they're not legally allowed to touch a, touch a ballot because they're under the age of 18, most of them. But it's an opportunity to help. So that's all I'm going to say about politics. You can go help there. All right, so... Um, I can go on. There's a lot of opportunities for service. These are seemingly endless, and they're only limited by your imagination. We're each called to love others, and the outward part of this is demonstrated by serving, regardless of what you choose. Do it for the joy of serving others and the desire to follow the example of Christ. Thanks. Colonel Van Herf, thank you. Um, so there's a slide that's going to come up. There it is. Uh, just like we did with the coaches panel, I have a tab open in front of me. And if you have questions uh, for Colonel Van Der Hoof, um, I want to make sure that I don't, that I represent you well. So I can see it. It's right in front of me. It's anonymous, if that makes a difference. Um, I probably should have told you that last time, but I didn't. Um, so I would invite you to uh, to take, it is activated as well, so I'd invite you to take advantage of that. And if there are things that you want to to ask uh, Doug about, then uh, we will factor that in. Tell me more, it was really interesting as you talked about being deployed to Afghanistan, and that was the first time that you, you said you kind of saw another side to military service 
um, as opposed to maybe what the character had been or what you had. I'd love to hear more about that. Like, like before before that deployment, what was your what was your experience, and then after that deployment? Yeah. So, um, am I on? Okay. Um, up to that point, you know, the aspect of training in the military, it's all for combat. It's how do you shoot your weapon? How do you set up a fire a fire sack? How do you um, uh, how do you fix your bayonet to your weapon? Now, all those kind of things. So, um, <clears throat> even as an engineer, the focus was on how do we support the infantry? How do we support armor, which are our major combat troops, and getting them to the objectives? So, um, we didn't. As an engineer, it wasn't really focused at all on this idea of providing service to other countries, to even to our own citizens. Um, probably if I had been in the National Guard, it might have been a little bit different because part of their role is to support their state. And being part of the reserve, I didn't have to do that. So um, it wasn't really, and, and even in Iraq at the time, we were in the process of drawing down instead of escalating, so um, we didn't really, we weren't really engaged with the citizenry there as my, at least I was not. Um, so, but when we get, when I get to Afghanistan, I'm in charge of doing these things that are building and providing resources to the country as opposed to just for the military. What was, so before this, let's go back to 1985, and I'm, actually there's questions coming in, so I want to try to, this is one of those questions. So 1985, you're a junior in, in college. What was your major before this shift to military service? What was your major? In my, my college major? Yeah. I was a business major. Okay. Business administration. Okay. Um, somebody wants to know if you uh, miss your hair. <laughs> well... There was a time that I did, yes. Yeah. How but, has, but, you know, sorry, continue. The, the, the hair question's I, important. I, I, I miss my hair. I a little bit more up here than just getting it cut off. So having it back might be a good thing, or I just might end up with that, you know, that old guy thing. So I don't know. I don't know if the hair helps me keep young or what. Anyway. How has the, uh, how's the military encouraged and encourage you both physical and, and spiritually? Um, Physical discipline, spiritual discipline, those sorts of things. Well, there's a saying in the military that there are no atheists in foxholes. And so, <laughs> if you think about that, um, I don't know if there's any truth to that. It's an old saw. And, and so, um, but certainly there's an aspect of the military that we look at life as being, all of a sudden, life becomes it's finite and, and you see that. And so there's that thinking of what comes after, right? Um, now for me, it, it's probably a little different from the person that comes into the military with no religious upbringing. I, I'm a PK, so I was raised in the church. Um, so I, I can recall in basic training, I was a little disturbed by the the idea of bayonet training because the focus was on kill, 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 right? It, it's just, and I understand it, 
I didn't like it because that was the mantra. And it, it, it did this with my spiritual upbringing and the idea of taking life is, is something not to be taken lightly. Yeah, there's a lot of questions. I'm watching it and there's a lot of questions that are along those lines of how do you balance military with the peacekeeping side of Christianity? Um, how do you balance living for Christ in the military environment? A lot of those sorts sure. of questions worded differently. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an understandable understandable question. Um, you know, I look back at if you look back at Scripture and you look at the Old Testament, right? God gave us, um, not gave us, but directed war in in many aspects. Um, and so, <clears throat> that's not to say that that's the first response, but. There, there's evil in the world, um, and there's ways to combat that. But at some point, um, it becomes a matter of protecting. And so, um, I, I don't know if I've got a, a, a solid answer, a way that I can really describe what that is like for me. Um, but I balance it out with the I, I balance it out with the idea that my services to my fellow citizens and if if that means i need to fight to do that then that's the that's an appropriate aspect you know you could there there's this concept out there about what's called just war right a just war um and so you we could spend days talking about that theory uh, and and the good side and the bad side of that i don't know that we've got the time here to do that today but it, it's a good question I don't know that I've got a good, solid answer for it. I, I think that I think you've done a great job of just being uh, humble in that and honest in that. And I would suggest that anybody that can come to the table and say they have it figured out <laughs> probably doesn't. I think yeah. that that's um, the fact that you're wrestling with it. I think means that you're in the right space. And anybody who's wrestling with it, you're in the right space. Um, somebody's asked, why do you think there's so few people that are willing to step up in this sort of way and serve uh, civically? I think some of it has to do with, it's a lack of understanding, for one thing, right? Like I said, we, we see what, our perception of the military is what we see on television, what we see in the movies, and it's not necessarily an accurate portrayal. Um, there, I would say the same thing about being a basketball official, right? There, there's, we sit in the stands, and if, if those of you, so athletes, you see this, and you, some of you feel it this way, right? The, the official is there, and he's not your friend. He's not going to help you, um, and so you get mad, and and fans are the worst because they jump on officials about everything. So it's a, it's a beat down. Um, so there's that. The idea of, of a kinetic response to somebody shooting someone, being shot at, those are not things that people take lightly. And so um, that idea is a difficult concept to grasp and to be able to say, yeah, I'm willing to, I'm willing to take that step. Which I think is why 
when you talk to a recruiter, they don't talk about those things. They talk about the money, right? Because their role is to get people enlisted. So there's, in the room, there's some interest in how you went from being in the military to being our IT guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep in mind that, um, and I, I don't remember if you said it this way, but when I enlisted, I enlisted in the Army Reserve. So it, the Army was not my full-time gig. Um, I, when I graduated from college, I went to work for a bank. I worked for a bank for six years. I went, I left there and became a financial planner. I did that for three or four years. I left that and became a trainer, um, a computer trainer. So yes, I was training computers. No, I was training people how to use computers. Um, and from that jumped me into the IT world where I became the system administrator administrator for our company. I was teaching people how to be system administrators. Went and got my first master's in information technology. And that's kind of the direction that I went. There's a couple of questions. I'm going to try to combine them. Um, somebody wants to know your most memorable moment serving others in the military. And then the other question is what was, as you think about what was maybe one of the hardest moments you've had um, so most memorable and most difficult. Okay, so I'm going to take the difficult one first because that's probably the easiest for me to answer. Um, my first deployment occurred in 2003. Um, I use the word deployment loosely because we didn't go any place other than Texas. Some people would say that was moving to a different country from New York, but yes. Um, the <laughs> Texans yeah, would say you. it's moving to it. Yeah. Yes. So, um, but my son Reese was born in December of 2002, and I got the call from my battalion commander at the time saying, um, your role is changing, you're going to be now the personnel officer, get prepared because we're gonna get an order in the next month or so. So Reese was three months old when I left, um, and, so I, I would say that was probably the most difficult thing. Now, my wife might say that I didn't display that very well, <laughs> but um, being away from my family for extended period of times was probably the most difficult thing. Um, you know, if you're, if you're active duty mil military and you have a family, that comes with the territory. So um, you move often, um, you deploy regularly, this doesn't happen to reservists. They only get called up when there's something significant that's happened. And so in this case, um, this was the significant aspect. And so um, deployed in 2003, was gone. Now, fortunately, um, that deployment was only to Texas. And because we ended up not going overseas on long weekends when we had holidays, that kind of thing, I was able to jump on a plane and go back to go back to Rochester and visit with my family for a weekend. Um, but the, tw the 2010 deployment, that was a year long, gone overseas, uh, home for a couple weeks in the summer, and that was about it. So that's the hardest thing. Um, what was the most significant thing? Um, I think probably, even though I didn't have to do a lot, the COVID response might have been the most significant, simply because it, it 
you know, when we talk about hurricanes and things like that, usually that involves a very localized segment of the population, right? Um, and when I say localized, it could be like in Texas in, in 2017, 18, whatever year that was. It was Houston and kind of up the up that side of the state and into Louisiana. COVID was everybody. And so um, our ability to respond effectively to that and provide the resources where states just didn't have what they needed to address some of the issues, that was probably my, I think, my most significant. How would you, um, what, how do I explain this? The question is written really interestingly. How do you help a family when they have someone deployed? Like, what advice would you give to a family that has a family member that's deployed? I think that's the question. Okay. Wow, that's a, it's a loaded question because there's so many different things that could be involved there. Um, the first thing is um, a family that has someone deployed, there should be a local family support group for that unit, whatever, wherever that is, whether it's reserve, guard, active duty, there should be a family support group that that's there to enable that. Um, for the Army, we had a resource called Army OneSource that you could go to armyonesource.org and get on the phone. You could talk to somebody. There's financial, um, financial. I, I don't want to say financial assistance, but financial advising that can happen. Um, every military base has resources on it that can support that. That doesn't necessarily help for the person that lives up in Bird City. <laughs> In, in Northwest Kansas um, that is hours and hours away from a military base. Um, but Army, Army One Source for the Army side is helpful. I'm going to guess, and I don't know this for a fact, but each of the branches have some resource available that will help with those kind of, those kind of questions. That would be my first, my first suggestion is go to see that. Um, military chaplains are great resources because they know all of the different availability. Um, and so reaching out to your closest military base is probably a good idea to kind of jumpstart those questions. Doug, thank you so much for being willing to share with us this morning. There were some other questions um, that I, I didn't ask you, lots of questions about if you've shot anyone, if you've killed anyone. <laughs> You've no. seen combat, you know, all of the normal, hey, we're going to ask these questions yep. uh, because there's a member of the military here. But thank you. Um, thank you for, for serving our community, for serving our country. Thank you for um, coming and sharing with us this morning. Glad to do it. Hey, listen, before, before I go, I'm not going to embarrass anybody here because I always hate it when, I shouldn't say hate's a strong word, but it makes me uncomfortable when I get called out for my military service, right? Um, when people walk up to me at a gas station, hey, I want to thank you. What am I supposed to say to that? Do I say you're welcome? Do I say thank you for thanking me? So it's a, it's a weird it's a weird thing. Um, but I know there are individuals here that either have served the military, are currently serving the military, and thank you. Doug, would you be willing to pray for us as we close this morning? 
I'll give it my best shot. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, uh, I want to thank you for this opportunity for me to share part of myself with this group of students. Thank you for them. Pray for their lives. Ways that they can go out and serve you. Protect them. Keep them safe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. I will see you Wednesday.